are continuing our series on amazing grace. Indeed, grace is so amazing. Grace is God's, God's work on your behalf that you don't deserve and you didn't work for. Grace is his unmerited favor. And as we defined it last week, grace is the indwelling presence of God empowering us to do what we could not do without him. It is the fact that God tore the veil in the temple and he came roaring out of his box, that Ark of the Covenant, and he came roaring out to meet his people. God said, no more. Will I be separated from the ones I love? He made a way to deal with those things that separated us. And he made a way that he could be with us always, more than be with us, that he could be in us. That no matter where you go, you are never alone. That the God, the creator of the universe, dwells with you. I mean, if that's all that was said this morning, that's enough. That's enough to just stop everything. That's enough to recalibrate all of our lives. That's enough to say, God, that means something. How do I live today in light of the fact that God is with us? Grace, the indwelling presence of God, empowering us to do what we could not do without him. I want to spend some time in the book of Hebrews today. Believe it or not, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. Surprise, surprise, surprise. God is reminding me before I carry on with that scripture that I, I, I felt like I was supposed to prophesy with some people before I preached this morning. So the, the microphone incidents has just distracted me and I forgot about that. So, so here we go. This lady, you're in a beautiful kind of gold and black print dress nodding your head at me. What's your name? Angela. Angela, I just, hear, I just hear the Lord saying there have been so many prayers that you've prayed of late that you have, you've been crying out for more to your life than there is now. You, you've been saying that the way I am living right now is good. It's not like it was bad, but it's like there's a hunger in your heart for more. And I hear the Lord saying, my daughter, do not fear, for indeed I have called you. This unsettledness that you felt in your soul has been me saying, I have got a new path for you. I've got a new way for you. I've, I've got greater consecration for you. I am calling you into um, carrying my anointing and releasing my anointing wherever you go. I'm the, the cries of your heart, there's even been a cry in your heart to be in ministry. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm answering those cries. I am going to make a way for you to minister the truth of my gospel wherever you go. I am making a way for the, the truth of who I am to be embedded in your heart and mind and for it to come out in every conversation. I, I am blessing you with unprecedented favor in the area of relationships and in the area of your work, work environment. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm opening doors for you that will give you great influence. You have wondered how your desire for ministry and your desire for whatever your career is will, will go hand in hand. And I hear the Lord saying, see if I won't do it. See if I will not give you platforms that will, open, that will be magnificent in the area of work, but will also be magnificent for ministry. See if I won't give you a platform and a mouthpiece to speak the words that I give you. See if I don't change significantly your industry because of your words my children my child walk in my ways answer the call for indeed I will do it amen and amen give the Lord a hand amen. my friend <laughs> look who is here I'm going to prophesy over your husband though is that okay <laughs> 
Monkey's my good friend. I just don't feel like I could prophesy over her because, you know, and I know her too well. Prophecy goes like this. Be in this church. (laughs) No, I'm canceling that prophecy. That's just Carol. That's just Carol. That's not Jesus. But so I do, I do hear the, the Lord say, saying this to you, that um, you have felt a degree of might rising up in your heart of late. It's like, it's like you've noticed that your words just um, resonate more. They, they seem to be more effective. And I hear the Lord saying, my son, this is the leadership gift that is beginning to rise in you. You are feeling it. You're, you're feeling clarity of direction. You're feeling, you're feeling that you know where you're supposed to go. And I hear the Lord saying, son, indeed, I am raising you up a lead, as a leader. And I am doing this by giving you clear strategy, giving you clear insight into where you're going, giving you clear understanding on the environment. Even now, you are beginning to see into the hearts of people around you. You can tell what someone what someone is going through and this is me positioning you to position others for indeed I am teaching you how to bring people into their destiny for you will be a leader of leaders you will establish my kingdom not only through your life in your life but you will lead people into places of leadership you will teach them how to lead with the the with a kingdom measure with the the presence and the anointing of God there's been something in your heart of late that has been also longing for change. There's been a place where you have been saying, God, I, I, I feel like there's more to where I am than, than what I have right now. And I hear the Lord saying there's, there is a significant change in your work environment coming. There's, there's an opportunity that is on the way. And I hear the Lord saying, step into the bigness of it. It's going to overwhelm you. It's going to feel like it's too much for you. But I hear the Lord saying, I have prepared you, son. I have, I have put in your heart what is necessary for that step. You will find that there will be gifts and graces that will be called out of your life in ways that you you didn't know that those existed. You will you will see them start to manifest and start to happen around you in ways that you will you will even stand back and say, "Is that me?" And I hear the Lord saying, "Son, indeed, those dreams and those visions that you got from those early days, even from your teenage years, that were speaking to your destiny. I am beginning. I am beginning to." Put those into operation right now. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. I feel like I I feel the presence of God just rest in me right now. That's what I was supposed to do. God, God bless all of you who received prophetic words. We do have a ministry team afterwards. And if you uh, feel like you need God to speak to you in some way, please come forward and they will pray for you and trust God for a prophetic word. In, a, in addition, on the 26th of January, we will be having a prophetic presbytery for any people who are going through transition, and we will trust that the prophetic team will have the kinds of words that you need to, to help you position yourself for where you're going. So we are in Hebrews 4, and we are speaking or looking at from verse 15. Like I said, Hebrews is a book to the Hebrews. It was written to a people steeped in Jewish tradition, steeped in Jewish understanding. It's almost impossible to understand Hebrews unless you understand the Old Testament. I would would propose to you that it's almost impossible to understand the New Testament without first understanding the context in which it was written, and that is the context of the Old Testament. But here we go, Hebrews 4, and it starts in verse 15. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We would draw, draw close with confidence to that great throne of the living God. This scripture introduces Jesus as our great high priest. The Old Testament is filled. If you read the first five books of the, the Old Testament, actually, if you can, you can exclude Genesis, if you go the next four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, if you read those books, it kind of lays out a way that God had had engineered amongst the Israelites to create a place for him and them to dwell together. Have you ever noticed when you read the Old Testament that the holiness of God was dangerous to human beings? Have you, have you noticed that? If, if you haven't, you haven't read Numbers, you haven't read Leviticus. Things happened there. Like p- people disobeyed the, the laws or the commandments of God or they came into God's presence in an unholy way and they were struck dead. The earth opened up and many of them fell into the earth. Plagues happened. The sacrifices had to be made. Things had to be done to restore peace and harmony, t- harmony between God and his people. The holiness of God was a dangerous experience for everyday humans. To come into the presence of God or to the throne of God, God as, as the scripture speaks about, was a very, very dangerous thing. Things had to be done. Sacrifices had to be made. Preparation had to be made. The right clothes had to be worn. The right attitude had to be in the heart. And yet the scripture talks about something so mind-blowing that... That Jesus did something. He acted as a high priest so that we would not have to be afraid of the holiness of God anymore. (coughs) There is a, a scripture in Leviticus that says this, and it kind of summarizes the whole of that book, if you ever get to read it. It says this, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. Now what has this got to do with grace? Everything. Everything. Because there's one thing about God that every human being must must get deep down in their hearts is that he doesn't change. God is who God is. And he made us to fit into that awesome majestic godness that is his. But there is a way of being that allows us to be with God. And unfortunately, mankind has made decisions to say, gosh, I don't want to be like that. I want to be something else. Which has put us in opposition to the nature and character of God. Of course, two of the, there are two imperative statements made about God. God is love and God is holy. I've spoken to you the, about this before. But, but God is absolutely loving and Everything inside of him wants to be with you. He created you for his love. At the same time, he is completely holy. What is that? 
What is holiness? Holiness is the nature of God. I want you to understand this. Holiness is not a set of laws and regulations. Holiness is not a, a, a list of things that you shouldn't do. Holiness is everything your heart has always longed for. Remember when you sit in a boardroom and something seems out of place and you just long for something bigger. When you sit in your, in your relationship with your husband or wife and, and things are good, but they, you know, it's just something. It's like, oh, I need more than this. I mean, I am married to the best man in the world, but still from time to time I feel that. What is, this, what is this longing in the human heart? It's <laughs> yeah. no, Andrew's just in shock and horror at the front there. I've don't worry. You know what? It's Andrew's birthday today. <laughs> it is. We're not going to sing happy birthday to him, though. Because we're only celebrating his birthday next week. Because, as Tamuka said, uh, a birthday celebrated in a fast is not quite the same. <laughs> so we're going to do it really well next week. Where was I? Goodness. Holiness. <laughs> what you desire. Is that there is, this, there is this thing in human hearts that, is, that the world cannot satisfy. And I want to propose to you, it is the holiness of God. Is that there is a longing in our heart to be in a place that is so pure, so right, so good. So absolutely true. And this is the holiness of God. The entire Old Testament is God trying to answer the cries of human hearts without killing them. Yeah. It's to give them what they desire without their, His holiness just destroying them. The sacrifices, everything, was to create the sacred space where man and God could dwell together. And this scripture tells us that Jesus came as a great high priest and did it once and for all. In the Old Testament, it had to be done over and over and over and over because man kept on messing up. But then the perfect man came and did it in a way that can never be messed up because he made no mistakes. He didn't misstep. He obeyed God to the very end. And he made a place that permanently creates a place where you and I can meet with God. How did he do that? He did it by changing you. He did it by putting his holiness in your heart. Who is that holiness? Nothing other than the Holy Spirit. He made a way for you to be united to him. He made you holiness friendly. He made you holiness friendly. If I want to describe grace in another way, I, I can describe it like this. Grace is the way we live in the atmosphere of holiness. Grace is his presence about us, telling us where to put our feet. It is his, his favor around us that makes us see him see Jesus when he looks at us, to see the sacrifice of his son. His grace is what enables us to be alive in his presence, to be close to him, to hear his voice, to walk with him. To have the holiness and life of God radiate from our souls into the world. You were born for holiness. Grace is the way that you get it. Come on, preach. <laughs> okay, I will. So this, this scripture talks about the throne. Now, now, there are two kinds of people in this hall, I know. 
there are the mystics. When I say throne, when you read that scripture, pictures were coming to your mind. They were beautiful golden chairs with light radiating from behind. They were thunder and lightning around. There were rainbows and angels and it was glorious and lovely and you just got lost in that beautiful, beautiful picture. These are the mystics in our midst. The rest of you are going, what? Because to you, a throne means, it simply means a place of governance. And it means where God's governance and righteousness and truth is, is brought into this world. And all the mystics are going, oh my word, that is so boring. <laughs> Luckily for you, the Bible allows mystics and non-mystics to coexist. We can all be there together and get a little piece of our own pie. When, when we look at the throne of God in the Bible, it is described as I described it to you there in Ezekiel 1 and 10. Ezekiel 1 and 10 adds the added dimension for all you mystics. I'm just going to make your day. It has wheels within the wheels underneath that throne. And there's fire and eyes in the wheels. And this throne moves in various directions. And there's a glorious figure on the throne and it's magnificent and incredible and you just want to fall down flat on your face when you see it. Mystics, are you happy? Great stuff. Revelation 4 reiterates that story. Now, for all of us, let's talk about the throne as the place of governance. God's, God's place of rule. Because you know what? Coming into God's presence doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have that, that mystical experience every time. And sometimes we feel like we're not in his presence until we have something like that. But mostly, our encounters with God are going to be very everyday. Yeah. They're going to be me just coming, just, just knowing things I didn't know before. It's me having a peace that passes my understanding. It's me being, being wiser than I thought I was. You know, when you sit in a board meeting and you, have, you say things and you're like, Oh my word, that was brilliant. That was because you were accessing the throne of God and his wisdom was being made manifest through you. The mystics in the room saw the big fiery wheels, etc. You just had wisdom. But the throne of God is his, his manifest presence through his people, bringing the governance and the life of Jesus Christ onto this earth in everyday situations. And grace is what helps us to access that part of God. The, the, this throne of God is termed eternal. I love that. I love that because that means what I said right at the beginning, that God does not change. What was right 2,000 years ago, a, th- a million years ago, in the beginning of time, is right now. Is that you can bank on it. You can be sure of it. It's always going to be there. It's eternal, unchanging. Psalm 89, I love this. It says that his throne is founded on righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. You know why I love this? Because sometimes we can think we get saved just for ourselves. You know, we can think my salvation is just about the fact that I get that job. It's just about the blessing that I get, that I'm forgiven, that I now can live a good, healthy, prosperous life in my everyday life. But your salvation is so much more than about that. It's about a throne 
of heaven coming to earth and justice and righteousness being spread throughout the earth. Your salvation is not just about you. It's about the transformation of nations. Your salvation is about the transformation of your family. It's about rightness, goodness, justice coming into your environment through you and through others like you. And last of all, in Hebrews, the verse we just read, it's a throne of grace. And I love that the grace is founded on righteousness and judgment, justice. Because what, not judgment, sorry, righteousness and justice. What it means, it means that the grace, the capacity to live in his presence, his indwelling presence in us, empowering us to do what we could not do before. This grace that we wear like a garment. This glory of God given to us even though we don't deserve it. Yeah. Is there founded on the rightness and the goodness of God. So this grace in the throne of God, this grace that allows us to come before his throne of grace, to receive grace and mercy in, his, in our time of need. It speaks of two things in the verse that, that kind of are, are accomplished in this meeting place at the throne. It first of, first of all talks about how Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in all ways just as we, we are. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus tempted. I, um, I'm going to give you a little bit more Old Testament history. Is that okay with you? But it talks about in the scripture that he's the high priest. But in Romans and other places, it talks about how Jesus was the second Adam. Have you heard that before? So in other words, Adam stood on this earth and he messed it up for all of us. You remember that. Last week I told you how when I get to heaven, I'm going to slap Adam through the face. Of course, he's going to slap me right back and say, you just followed right in my footsteps. But nonetheless, Adam messed it up. But the Bible talks about how Jesus came as the second Adam. He faced the exact same temptation as Adam did to go his own way, to determine for himself what was right and wrong. In other word, words, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he refused that. And he walked in absolute obedience to God. It says, even unto death, he walked in obedience to God. What was he doing? He was retracing the steps of Adam and saying, as Adam failed, I, as the second Adam, will succeed. So that because, so that when whole, all, of crea- all of humankind were, was plunged into destruction and dismay and hardship through Adam's act of disobedience, so all of mankind will be brought into wholeness, righteousness, and truth by this one act of Jesus Christ. So he was the second Adam. Okay, you, are you all good with that? A little bit more. In addition to being the second Adam, he was the second Israel. What does that mean? When Adam failed, God found another man. His name was Abraham. And he, Abraham did slightly better than Adam. And he made Abraham into a nation. And from that nation, he meant the governance and the righteousness and the rule of God to be displayed to all the world. All the nations were to be blessed through Israel, as he said to Abraham. Israel failed. 
They were not able to fulfill the mission God had given them. God chose them by their most amazing grace. He he called them out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness where they wander around for 40 years. He forgave them and he forgave them and he forgave them. Numbers tells about nine times that he forgave them. And then he went up onto the Mount of Sinai, or he came down on the Mount of Sinai. He met with them, and he gave them the ways of living. And yet they were not able to live that way. They were not able to live in relationship with God. Where's this going? Jesus was the second Israel. So the interesting thing is that if you read the chronology of Jesus' life in the book of Matthew. This is how it goes. Jesus was baptized. Remember he said to fulfill all righteousness. What's that all about? He'd never sinned. He didn't need to be baptized. He was walking the way of Israel. He was going through his own Red Sea. He was, the, the Red Sea was talked about as being equivalent to, the, to baptism. He was walking the way of Israel. Where did he go after that? For 40 days into a wilderness. He was doing the 40 years of Israel over. Not once giving into temptation. Not once complaining for a lack of food or water. He trusted God fully. And he did what Israel could not do. Where did he go after the wilderness? He went to a mountain. And there he received the ways of living. And he spoke it to men in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, was, is the second Israel. And he did it right. Now, what's this got to do with you and me? Nice history lesson. Nice theology moment. But it's so important to us because it says in Hebrews 4 that he was tempted in all ways like you. I want to propose something to you. That he wasn't just the second Adam. He wasn't just the second Israel. He was the second Johan. He was the second Rahi. He was the second you. And what did he do? It's before you were even born. He walked your steps. He faced your temptation. And he did it right. He prepared a righteous life for you that you were going to be given as a gift. When you accept Jesus, you get that life that he lived. He lived for Musa. He faced every one of Musa's temptations and he did it right. He faced every one of Reba's temptations and he did it right. And he prepared a righteous life for you. That all you have to say is God, yes. And he hands it to you. I don't know if this doesn't, if this doesn't make you want to fall down and worship, I don't know what will. Temptation at the throne through Jesus Christ, has been conquered. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may may be able to endure it. What does that mean? Is that every time you face a challenge, a temptation, a difficulty, there is a righteous life waiting in his hand. All you have to say is yes. He will provide a way for you to stand up. Another translation says, stand up under it. 
I see the Hulk. You know what I'm saying? Like the temptations there, you appeal to Jesus and suddenly you're not that mild, mild, meek and mild Peter Parker. Is it that? Is that his name? Whatever. Oh, that's Superman. Okay, whatever. So you're not just meek and mild wherever you are. <laughs> I just see you rising up under that and just like green muscles exploding everywhere. Not angry, but just gloriously filled with the power and the presence of God. Gosh, I need to watch more Marvel movies, apparently. <laughs> Temptation is conquered. Another thing that happens is that prayer is empowered. It says that we come with boldness before his throne of grace to find grace and mercy in our time of need. I have spent enough time in my life lying on my face pleading with God for stuff. How many of you have done that? You know, and really, guys, I mean, if that's all you have, it's really not bad. But it's not the kind of prayers that get things done because it comes from a wrong premise. It assumes, which I have done a thousand times, that we are poor, downtrodden, hard done by people that are just trying to get a few scraps of mercy from the throne of God. This is not the throne that Jesus introduced us to. This is not that powerful place where lightning and thunder radiates, where the glory of God smashes through obstacles, where people who come before it fall on their face trembling. This is the throne of God that gets things done. This is the throne of God that is our inheritance, that is our place of abode. This is the place of the power and majesty of God that resides in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You are not hard done by. You are not poor, lonely, rejected. You are the righteous of God in Christ. You are something, you are a force to be reckoned with. You are the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth today. And when we come before the throne of God, it's like veils are, are taken from our eyes and we see like we should see. We see that we're not a hard done by, small, insignificant piece of the puzzle that no one notices. No. You are the one that God stepped out of heaven for. You, you ha live a life that he has already lived in righteousness for you. You carry the power of the mighty one who speaks worlds into existence. And when you stand before that throne, that's what grace does. Grace transforms your mindset of who you are. It transforms your understanding of who this God is and allows you to rise up in the righteousness that is yours as a gift. It allows you to stand. And instead of pleading with God for just a drop of goodness, it allows you to stand there and declare what you know to be true to the world. It allows you to speak to the mountains and say, move. It allows you to stand in broken relationships and say, no, I will not have this brokenness. Yeah. It allows you to stand in, in places of poverty and say, no, prosperity is coming here also. What is in your hand? Let's work it. Let's make it grow. This is what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about an access we have to truth. 
that allows us to stand in a place of authority and might and gives us prayers that cannot be resisted. Why? Because they're coming from the throne of God. They're declaring a reality that has already been won through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Instead of being victims of our circumstances, we're creators of our circumstances. That doesn't mean you won't go through hard times. That doesn't mean that there won't be challenges. It means that you are made for those challenges. It means that you are born to overcome those places. It means that you are born to stand and declare His goodness, His righteousness, His truth in those places. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. And we speak that righteousness and justice through the grace that we carry. That heaven suit, that holiness suit that is Jesus Christ that we are covered in. That holy presence that radiates in our being that is the Holy Spirit. We declare with the Creator the truth that is meant to be. Prayer and power. John 15 verse 7, I love this. If you abide in me, that is the trick. Guys, that is because we've all prayed prayers that haven't come to pass. We've all declared things that didn't happen. I mean, I stand in front of my stove every, every night and say, food be cooked. It doesn't get cooked. <laughs> well, Andrew does sometimes go out and buy or, or, or ask for <laughs> takeaways. And so that, uh, you know, I'm, it's the same thing to me. Food be cooked. And then suddenly Andrew comes with Nando's. I mean, I'm good. <laughs> but if you abide in me, if you abide in me and my word, uh, words abide in you, what's this is just another way of saying coming to his throne of grace. It means standing in the knowledge of who you are, allowing his truth to inform your thoughts, to inform your sense of self, to inform your internal world. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Not ask what's good, not ask what's right, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Why? Because what you wish will be what God wishes. Because His, His righteousness and truth in you has transformed you to wish the wishes of heaven. Yes. Can you tell I'm getting excited? Yes. Are you feeling excited? Because you know what? If you don't look excited, I'm just going to keep going. Prayer empowered. In the place of grace, temptation is destroyed, our prayers are empowered, and we see as we Amen. should see. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. <laughs> <laughs>